Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Just a quick note before we start. We're nearing the end of this series of The Tip-Off. And thanks to all of you for listening and for your kind reviews on Apple Podcasts and other places. It's really nice to read them all. So we're hoping to be back soon with a new series, But the show is a completely independent production. And while we've had some funding to do the last two series, that's running out. So if you can spare some change and you want more stories behind the headlines in future, why not support our new Patreon drive? You can find details at patreon.com forward slash the tip off. That's patreon.com forward slash the tip off. All support will be very much appreciated. But for now, thanks for listening. And on with the show. In July, I recorded an episode of The Tip-Off unlike any of the others I've brought to you so far. This one was recorded in a tent in some woods. I took the podcast to Latitude Festival where the Sunday afternoon audience was treated to a story of fake news and conspiracy theories, how they came to be and how they grow over time. To tell this story with me, I invited along investigative journalist and documentary maker Charlie Mole. Here's what we talked about. Hello, everyone. Can you tell us some of the, the true things that you've investigated in the past that turned out to be real? Yeah, so um, I make films um, not just for the BBC, so I make films for Panorama, uh, but also Channel 4's Dispatches programme. I've done all sorts, really. So I've looked at academy school spending, and I've uh, made a film analysing some of the, the various extremist groups the House of Saud was funding. I've just m- made a, a panorama looking at the protests outside the two primary schools in Birmingham about relationships education and looking at how that was spreading. So all manner of things, um, chops and changes quite a lot, really. So there's there's plenty of real things to be digging into in the world. But the story that we're going to talk about today is one that kind of blew up um, for various different reasons. And there might be different kind of forces at work. So to give you a brief introduction... The story starts back in July 2016 with a young man called Seth Rich, who's up there on the screen. He was a 27-year-old digital campaigner, and he was working for the Democratic National Committee. 
So that's the Democrat Party in the US. And Seth was working there and then was making his way home one night, uh, very late at night, in a kind of slightly dangerous area in Washington, DC. He'd been talking to his girlfriend and he put down the phone at about 4.19 in the morning, so really early. And then Seth was shot twice in the back and he died afterwards in hospital. Now his murder remains unsolved and the police in Washington have always maintained that it was a street robbery gone wrong. Although that was complicated by the fact that Seth's watch and his wallet and his phone were all still on him. So the question kind of arose in people's mind, was there something more at play here? Charlie, when did you first hear about Seth Rich? When did you hear that name? Yeah, so um, I've been aware of the story. It happened in July 2016, and I was approached about a year and a half later by a television production company called Firecrest Films, who make uh, current affairs films for uh, the BBC and Channel 4. Um, and it was around the time when there was this sort of term, fake news, that was doing the rounds, really. It was this term had sort of been weaponized, I guess, by the sort of Donald Trump campaign. <laughs> um, there was a, almost a bit of a moral panic about it, I think. This was a really intriguing story because of how it had spread and how quickly yeah, it and, spread. And the, and the context of his death is what kind of lit it up, right? So, so Seth was killed around the time of the primary um, elections, the decision-making in Washington, in America, of who was going to be the Democratic candidate for president. So I don't know if you remember, but there was Hillary Clinton, who was popular in some courts and, and very unpopular in others, and there was Bernie Sanders. And then um, combined with that, um, his murder actually came just, I think it was two weeks before this huge leak of emails of the DNC party internal emails were leaked, which showed that the DNC was highly favoring Hillary over Bernie. And there was all this kind of behind the scenes um, working to make sure that, that Bernie, this, this further left candidate, um, wasn't going to be the, the candidate for the future. So this kind of theory started, right, that maybe Seth was the one who leaked the emails, which was only really because of the timing and because he, he kind of worked in the DNC. And that maybe his death, uh, his murder, had been planned as a kind of vengeance or a cover-up for that leaking. Um, so, Charlie, there's two competing theories there, right? One is that, that this is Seth that, that leaked the documents and was killed because of it, or there's this other theory, which is that the Russians somehow hacked into the computer uh, or hacked into the DNC's emails, rather, and, and leaked them for part of their kind of um, weaponizing of information around the election. So you know that the BBC wants to look into this and you've been tasked to do this. But where on earth do you start as a journalist? Yeah. So, I mean, whenever you approach a new topic, you first you, you just consume and read as much as, as possible <laughs> within the first couple of weeks, really. So you really immerse yourself in the story. And a lot had been written about this particular case. And my task really was to, was, was to try and understand the timeline. I started off sitting at a, a desk at my house <laughs> but it soon became clear that I, I had to get to Washington I had to get to DC there's only so many phone calls you can you can have with people and again in the early stages of researching a film 
you want to start to sort of put together who your key characters are as well. And you kind of, you divide it almost into sort of three sections. So you have the people that ideally you want to interview in the film and you think about the roles that they would play in terms of t t telling the story and unpacking the story. When you're doing that, you have to also think about the people that will help you get to those people. So you draw up your, your list of people to approach and you, you just sort of hit the phones, really. And you were trying to talk to Seth's friends and Seth's family to try and get a sense of, of who this guy was, a, a name that had appeared time and time again in, in newspapers, but who was the real Seth Rich? How did that go? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was difficult because Seth had become a meme, essentially. This picture that you saw up there of this guy, you know, the stars and strikes, sitting there um, drinking a beer on his sun lounger, had sort of done the rounds. And a lot of people, there was a lot of assumed knowledge about what this guy was like. But it was really, really important to speak to those close to him that knew him. And it was really hard because the, by that point, the family had been through so, so much. I mean, not only had they lost their son, their son's memory had been weaponized and used against them. So the family by that point had, had done a fair bit of media, but they realized that whenever they spoke out, the words would just be poured over. So they, they just had enough. So the, the family declined to take part, but his friends and his co-workers was the route that we went down. And, and um, I was able to build up a really detailed picture of who Seth was through, through those people. And I think you spoke to his neighbor as well, right? I think we have a clip uh, can we play the first clip, which is um, his neighbour explaining how he found Seth that, that night. So this is where uh, I came running down when I heard the shots up in my house. And uh, Seth was laying in the middle of the intersection here, facing this way, with his arms and his face down on the ground and uh, his hands were moving, so I knew he was alive, and that's good. And then the police officer came over and he was just roping this off. And I said, where was he shot? And he says, it, it appears he's shot in the abdomen. And uh, Seth and I made eye contact, and he, I mean, the look on his face was like, you know, what the hell? So it's this horrifying murder that really impacted, you know, uh, a lot of people, Seth's friends and families, and you were hearing how he was this generally happy-go-lucky, gregarious guy, someone very into his work and politics, but am I right in saying his friends, when you kind of suggested that, that there might be the possibility that he was the leaker of these emails, they reacted absolutely with a scan? I mean, it was laughable to them, basically. The picture they painted of Seth was someone who... Um, absolutely loved politics, absolutely loved the Democratic Party, would never do anything to hurt it, basically. Um, but not only that, he was just very, he was a very earnest young man um, and wanted to, to make the world a better place, basically. He worked um, in voter engagement, so it was his job um, to contact people um, to, to let them know that they'd been uh, taken off the electoral roll. Quite often in America, between elections, people tend to just fall off the electoral roll. So it was his job to, to, to go in and let them know, get them to re-register, basically. So it wasn't like he was some kingpin of the organisation that was going to have access to all of these... No, I mean, that was the other point, you know. <laughs> I spoke multiple, multiple sources um, who just said that Seth was many things, but he was not a tech whiz. So, so how do we get here? How do we get from a tragic murder, potentially a botched robbery on the streets of DC, 
where did the rumbling start of that this might be something bigger? I think the context is important as to where it happened. So Seth lived in this area of Washington uh, called the Bloomingdale District. In the sort of months before Seth's murder, there had been a number of uh, muggings and the police were actively warning people about a, a potential gang that were going around. So it's, it's important to, to, to know the context that Seth's death, it wasn't something really that had made the national news until it was announced that he worked for the DNC. And then something strange happened. It started actually on the, the particular Bernie supporting account tweeted this image saying that this guy had, had worked for the DNC and had been shot in the back. And it caused this eruption on blogs like Reddit speculating that Seth had been killed because he worked for the DNC. And then WikiLeaks published a trove of leaked emails from the, from the DNC, which essentially showed that the sort of upper echelons of the DNC had, had conspired ultimately to sort of win the election in, in favor of Clinton as uh, opposed to Sanders. I think at this point it's also important to realize that politics in America had become quite radical, both on the, on the right and the left. It was, you know, just before the election between Trump and Clinton, the race between Clinton and Bernie Sanders had, had been very fraught, and a lot of people were, were deeply disgusted sort of by the Clinton administration. And it was within that context that, that this happened. This idea that the Clintons were so corrupt, that they were so awful, that they would have people killed, was a long-running conspiracy theory. So Charlie's spending days, weeks, trawling through old Twitter posts, Reddit forums, 4chan posts, which are often a kind of cesspit of, of conspiracy theories. But there's one moment in all of this timeline that you're creating that really seems to be the, the sparking point. And I wonder if we could hear the next clip and you'll see who it is that really ignites this. It came from a news channel, a news interview on Dutch TV, and it's Julian Assange. Our whistleblowers go to significant efforts to get us material and often very significant risks. As a 27-year-old uh, works for the DNC, who was shot in the back, murdered uh, just two weeks ago uh, for un unknown reasons as he was walking down the street in Washington. So that was, that was just a robbery, I believe, wasn't it? No, it's, there's no finding. So uh, that's what are you the suggesting? sort of... What are you suggesting? I'm suggesting that our sources uh, take risks. But was he one uh, of your sources then? I mean... We don't comment on who our sources but are. Why but why make the suggestion? So, Charlie, maybe you can explain that. Why was that the moment that things kind of erupted? Julian Assange had sort of been a hate figure, really, amongst the Republicans for many years because of his exposés of, you know, the Iraq war logs showing American military killing um, innocent civilians. I mean, there were calls to, to have him face the, the death penalty in America. As soon as this story erupted, Assange became almost a hero amongst those same people that were calling for him to be executed. The reason being, at that point, the Trump campaign was under a lot of pressure uh, for its links to Russia, particularly Russian involvement in the election. Essentially, this was, the, this was a, a, a great um, way of deflecting that, saying, it, well, actually, it wasn't the Russians 
that hacked the DNC. It was this guy, and he leaked them. What Assange has done quite cleverly there is cast an aspersion. He never actually says that Seth was a source, but he, he gives enough to make out that he, he potentially was. And in doing that, he gave it legitimacy. And it really then became, you know, a national mainstream story. So that theory takes off at that point and it's spreading across online go- gossip platforms, social media. And like you say, it comes to the attention of a lot of powerful people. And one of them is a guy who I haven't heard of, but but you came to know quite well, a guy called Jack Berkman. Maybe you can explain who he is. Yeah, Jack Berkman is a Republican lobbyist who had... Before the Seth Rich case, he was most famous for a campaign trying to ban homosexuals from from the NFL. He was he's a he's a very extreme guy, but has legitimacy in in those circles. He ran a campaign trying to get to the truth behind who killed Seth. And at first, the family worked with him, but it became clear that he 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 went off piste, began making these. Um, accusations that it was the Russians that killed Seth and at that point the family cut their cut their connection with him and they, they asked him to stop but he didn't he carried on he set up this organization called the profiling project which essentially pounded the streets in Washington trying to find out information about who killed Seth but he was again coming from a very particular slant it became very clear that he wasn't particularly open-minded he had a theory and was uh, was looking to prove it basically and so you go to visit him in this house his own house which I understand is this kind of strange big modern mansion filled with baroque paintings he has a dog called Jack Jr. Yeah, it was very strange. Kind of Uh, Bond villain type character. Yeah, yeah, lots of kissing with the dog, which was quite, quite weird. Um, Awkward when you're trying to interview (laughs) someone as well on camera and their dog is. (laughs) Yeah, he's he was he's a strange character. Um, Again, he he talked a good game. You know, it's it's a good example actually of why you have to go meet people, because over the phone. You know, he sounds very, very plausible. It's only really when you sit down with someone like that and you're able to get the measure of them that you realise that actually a lot of what he's saying has no factual basis to it and that it is all bluster. Um, you know, he had this theory about how Seth was killed and he had he had been on the, the, the national media talking about it. I went to meet him and th- he claimed to have email evidence showing... So this is why you go there. It's because he says, I have this smoking gun evidence. You need to come and see it, right? And then what what, what was it that he showed it you? It was a series of emails from a, a man called Dimitri uh, who claimed in these emails that, he, that, that Seth had been killed by uh, the Russian state. When I began questioning him, who is Dimitri? He didn't know. Where's Dimitri from? He didn't know. Have you ever met Dimitri? He, he hadn't. Had you ever spoken to him? He'd, he hadn't either. And it was just astonishing that he was basing all of this on something that was so poorly sourced. Not only that, but also as you, as you went through the email chain, it became quite clear that Dimitri wanted rather a lot of Bitcoin in return for information. It was really this theory based on something that had absolutely no factual basis. And, and you as a journalist looking into this, you know, you're suspecting it's a conspiracy theory, but I guess you still want to test the evidence because if it had been, yeah. this was the new Watergate, well, you know, you want to find out. You know, you have to go into these things open-minded. The problem was the only evidence that this was some kind of hit job was the fact that Seth worked at the DNC and had been shot 
in the back twice um, and nothing had been taken. It's very, very difficult to entertain and take these conspiracy theories um, you know, seriously when there is that, that is the only evidence there. And then obviously you have Julian Assange giving credence to it as well, but as you saw, he, he never actually says <laughs> Seth is, is the leaker, and uh, we'll go into it later, but, but actually when it was, uh, the Mueller report was published, which is the, um, the big investigation into the, the links between the Trump campaign and Russia in the election, it completely um, blows apart Assange's claim. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, so you're still reaching out to people. You're trying to talk to anyone that might be connected, anyone that might have some information on this. But I guess there's the issue that a lot of these people espousing these theories are pretty um, suspicious of the mainstream media. And here's you calling up saying, I'm working on a film for the BBC. Um, you know, you're a journalist that's worked with the kind of mainstream media that they see as, as corrupted or whatever. How is it you firstly make contact and how do you broach doing an interview with them? You know, are you kind of saying I'm on your side? Are you saying I'm completely neutral? Are you crit uh, critiquing them? A lot of these new um, journalists and these figures actually don't need the mainstream media really so that was that was tricky but also it's so hard going in to try and speak to these people when they essentially see you as the enemy i tried to go and speak to these people in an open-minded way and said look show me what evidence you've got none of them were able to do so the other thing as well you know we have a responsibility as the mainstream media and you know the bbc not to push unfounded untruthful 
accusation. So we have to hold these people to account and they don't like it. And there's another very powerful figure that comes into play here. Someone, again, who I hadn't heard of, a, a Texan millionaire, a guy called Ed Batowski, um, who, for some reason, we're not quite sure of, employs this former detective who also happens to be one of Fox News's kind of regular pundits and a Fox News journalist to look into this. Maybe you can explain a little bit about where he comes from and, and why you think he appears on the scene. Whenever the Seth Rich story spiked in 2016, it was always at a time when it was fortuitous for the people pushing the story. So it first appears when the, the Trump cam campaign is coming under a lot of heat about its links to Russia and the fact that the, the, the DNC emails have been hacked. Fast forward to early 2017, Trump's been elected at that point. There's that bombshell moment when the FBI director James Comey announces that he is going to investigate the Trump administration for collusion. It's at that point that this mysterious character, Ed Butowski, comes into play. He funds this ex-Washington detective, essentially, to investigate what had happened to Seth. In cahoots with a Fox journalist called Malia Zimmerman, they publish an article a few days after Trump sacks James Comey. <laughs> Again, it's quite fortuitous timing. And this article essentially says that Seth was the leaker. It's based on one anonymous source and Rod Wheeler, who then retracts his testimony. So then it's then based on the evidence of one anonymous source. And you find out as well that these this kind of group of people have not only published a story on Fox, but they actually have been to the White House and had a meeting there with Spicer. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. There, there's, there's, a, there's a meeting just before it's published uh, between Butowski, Zimmerman and, and, and Wheeler with the, the press secretary, Sean Spicer. At this point, the story had, had, had essentially been debunked. And the fact... Uh, it's never been completely clear the role um, that the Trump White House played in, in, in pushing this story. But again, you know, the, the timings are, are quite interesting. And the fact this meeting took place at all is really astonishing with, uh, you know, these, these sort of three very minor figures. And so we've come kind of from the, these moments where things were being tweeted about, being whispered about in dark corners of the Internet to Fox News TV and the biggest anchor, the biggest news personality on Fox, which is Sean Hannity. Maybe we could listen to a clip from that show of Sean talking about this story. Tonight, another massive breaking news story. Explosive developments in the mysterious murder of former DNC staffer Seth Rich that could completely shatter the narrative that, in fact, WikiLeaks was working with the Russians or there was collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Once more, Fox brought on Wheeler to corroborate the story. There was a, a federal investigator that was involved on the inside of the case, a person that's very credible. And I'll tell you, let me just say this, Sean, I don't like to suggest things without saying the person's name. But I can't say the person's name because that person would be thrown under the bus. And I can't do that. But this person, we checked him out. We have to check him out. Very credible. He said he laid eyes on the computer and he laid eyes on the case file. 
So, I mean, the most evidence you've got is Jack Berkman with a mysterious email from some guy called Dimitri who he's never met that says very little. And this police chief saying that he talked to an anonymous source that says he promises, crosses his heart and swears to die that it's true, but we have nothing more than that. And it's worth really stressing that a, a week later, Fox retracts the story completely and have since apologised for it. And there's an, an ongoing investigation now where they're, where they're looking at why it was ever published in the first place. It's astonishing, I think, that something with so little evidence could get onto a national broadcaster and does damage you know so seth rich's mother mary later said about fox that they never called us to check any of the facts they just took a rumor and ran with it she went on to say we lost his body the first time and the second time we lost his soul the family later tried to sue fox news where they said that um that fox had intentionally tried to inflict emotional distress but the case was thrown out of court so, Charlie, over the course of three months, you've laid out how one man's tragic death was turned into a conspiracy theory. So we go from Bernie Sanders supporters starting to mutter about their conspiracy theories to Reddit threads, to Twitter pylons, to self-interested people like Jack Bergman who want to get on TV talking about these things, or a Texan millionaire working with a Fox journalist. And the story finally ends up on this massive national TV platform and we know reached the ears of the White House press secretary. You, you tried to get the White House to comment on this for your BBC documentary, right? How, how did that go? Um, they, they wouldn't. <laughs> so was there any part in all of this? This was months of work of you putting these things together, creating timelines of what happened when, trying desperately to talk to people who clearly thought of you as the enemy. Was there any point in all of this that you thought, well, maybe there is something in it. I was willing to be convinced, but there was no evidence. The, the, the only evidence is um, the fact that he, he was shot um, and nothing was taken from him, uh, and the fact that, that he, he worked for the DNC. And not only that, but WikiLeaks, Claire Julian Assange's um, aspersions that he cast on Seth have since been completely debunked. Um, it, it was shown that he was still in touch with the source of the email leak four days after Seth died. It was clear it was that it was being driven by a certain political standpoint, and it was it was clear that that they wanted to believe this because they didn't want um, to blame Russia. Right. The alternative is that Russia did leak the emails, and that just backs up this idea that that. Uh, Trump is colluding, or there is some element of collusion there. So in April last year, you put out, BBC put out The Conspiracy Files, Murder in Washington, which I think you can watch, I think it's on YouTube. I'm not sure if that's official or not, but you can watch that. Um, and what's happened since? You mentioned before the Mueller investigations report has finally been delivered, and, and that does impact on, on the findings in the documentary. Remind us again what, what it was that Mueller found in regards to this. So in regards to this, he basically... he completely debunked WikiLeaks claims uh, well aspersions they weren't really claims that Seth was the leaker by sh by proving that uh, actually you know Sandra was still in touch with the, with the source four days later and was very critical of everyone that pushed the, the, the story the problem with the conspiracy theorists is Muller would say that wouldn't he <laughs> because he's this member of the establishment so I don't think this conspiracy theory will ever be completely debunked but in terms of its coverage on, on the national media, that's that's completely over. It will still be muttered about on Twitter and the sort of darker corners of the internet. 
but um, yeah, it's it's essentially over now. And in fact, it, it wasn't just the story that was being talked about. After the story came out, you found yourself the subject of some Twitter memes and Twitter trolls, right? Do we have that up there? This is a, a tweet, a meme that came out about Charlie. I don't know if you can read it. It says, that face you make when Charlie the Mole from the BBC uses the DNC fraud protest for information to help investigate Seth Rich's death for a documentary and to help expose the DNC for the scum that they are, only to be a liar who is actually working with the DNC and supports the ridiculous Russian gate narrative. I'm not sure if that even makes sense, Samantha. There's no punctuation. There's, a, there's a very lots of run-on sentences. But yeah, so you get you kind of become the source of this yourself. How did you find that? Um, yeah, it's bizarre, really. Obviously, you know, again, this idea that I'm working with the DNC, it just neatly encapsulates the problems with this story of the people pushing this conspiracy theory. I guess it's hard to imagine a similar conspiracy theory going from the internet to BBC News you know, evening news, Channel 4 news here. Do you think there's something particular about the US and the US media scene and maybe the Trump narrative that was going around that, that made this fly in the way it did? I think so. I think there's also something to be said about the modern landscape as well, um, where there is something about America, I think, probably to do with the size of it, but also I think there's a real distrust of centralised government there that can manifest itself in these sort of conspiracy theories. It's almost like the, the anxiety of this idea that this is, this, you know, the, the, the DC elite, the Washington elite that's far away from the, those living in the Midwest who've often never even been to DC. It's very easy, um, I think, to come up with black and white stories of good and evil. I do think that's quite pervasive in America, particularly during during this time as well. You know, politics was radicalized both on the, on the right and the left. Trust in the sort of established order was breaking down to an extent. The Clintons were a, were a hated dynasty, and I think that played into it too. But it is, it's, I think it's difficult to imagine this story spreading like it did in, in the UK. I have to say, I, I, I do think that. Yeah, I guess we have our opinion writers in... Uh, maybe in tabloid newspapers, but it's that they're always quite firmly in the kind of realm of opinion and comment rather than kind of hard news. There's also something to be said, I think, about the infotainment in America. You know, Fox News sort of prides itself on being quite sensationalist and quite kind of exciting, I guess, is how it builds itself. And that can sometimes spill over into into these sort of stories. Um, and I don't I just don't think we have that same climate yet anyway in, in 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 the uk thank you all for taking the time on this lovely sunny day to come thank and be everyone. with us and i'd just like to ask for a round of applause for the fantastic charlie Moss. Thank, thank you thank you thanks mate one more time for the tip-off ladies and gentlemen how fantastic was that so that was our afternoon at latitude festival Thanks to the festival for having us and to Charlie Mole for talking us through that anatomy of how a conspiracy theory can grow and spread. And hey, you might have heard more of Jack Berkman's work recently. Remember that ridiculous story about Democrat nominee hopeful Elizabeth Warren using an online escort website to supposedly hook up with a former Marine? Well, guess where that story came from? It was 
broken, in inverted commas, at a press conference held by far-right troll Jacob Wald and none other than Jack Berkman. As always, I've put links in the show notes so you can read more about Charlie's work on that BBC documentary. So there's just one more episode in this series, and we're really hoping that we can go away and make some more episodes. But for that to happen, we need your help. You see, The Tip-Off is a totally independent production made by Little On Me and with production support from Chica Ayres and Alice Milliken. We got some funding for the last two series. That allowed me to bring on Alice and Chica and to get the production quality up, but that's running out. So if you like the show and you want to support us making more episodes, and if you can afford it, perhaps you'd consider supporting our new Patreon, which you can find at patreon.org forward slash the tip-off. And there's a range of different support levels there, so it's whatever you can afford. But look, no pressure. All our back catalogue is still out there and it's still totally free to listen to. And hopefully we'll be back with another series soon. So until our next and final episode, stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.